we prepare to hear God's Word. Father in heaven, we come this morning asking for your help, that you would humble our minds and hearts to not just be hearers of your Word, but you would transform us to be those who obey you and seek to do your work. And so, Lord, we pray you'd open up our ears and our hearts to receive your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to faithfully preach your word, to preach what is true. Lord, that Jesus would be exalted, that we'd be reminded of how much he's done for us, of the sure hope that we've been given in him. And Lord, lead us to rejoice in what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And Lord, give us the strength this morning we need to persevere, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember about 17 years ago, my wife and I were preparing to welcome in our firstborn to our home, and so we were going through childbirth classes, and uh, the the method we selected, well, I'll say that she selected, that I went along with, uh, was the husband-coached method, which was a scary thought. I mean, the idea that I was going to coach anything, this wasn't coaching YMCA t-ball, right? This is coaching the delivery of our firstborn. I knew nothing about babies, and so I was trying to pay attention in these classes so that I'd be prepared. And the instructors, what they were trying to do is prepare us what to expect and then how we could be involved in a meaningful way to provide comfort and encouragement. And one of the things they prepared us for was there was going to come a moment when our wives would look at us and they would say something in a moment of desperation like, I'm going to die. I can't do this anymore. And they said the worst thing you could do as a husband was to freak out. And they told us stories of husbands that freaked out and backed away and wanted the medical professionals just to step in and fix whatever was going on. That actually, believe it or not, wasn't helpful for mom. And so they prepared us to think through how we could be a help. And and what they told us, they said, when that moment comes, when there's doubt, when you see your wife in pain, she's suffering, and she's communicating doubt, like, I don't think I can do this, I don't think I can keep going, that you need to know that's a signpost to kick in and offer encouragement and put hope before her. And the hope they equipped us to say was, you're doing this, you're doing great, we've been doing this, we're going to keep doing this, I'm here with you, one contraction at a time, each painful contraction brings us one step closer to you holding our little baby. And they told us, they said, that hope will kick in and it will help. It did. We got to repeat it by God's grace three times over, four kids. And that hope kicking in, helping to persevere through doubt and pain. Well, this morning we finish up our third and final study in the book of Jude. And what Jude does is he puts hope in front of Christians. He says there will be doubt, there will be pain, there will be trouble and trials, this side of glory. But he wanted Christians to be sure there's hope. Find hope to keep going through the one who will keep you going. Let's look now in the book of Jude. We're going to be in our last verses, Jude 17 through 25. That's found on page 1027 in your pew Bible. So the best way to stay engaged this morning is to open up a copy of the Bible. And if you didn't bring one with you or if you don't have one, take that one right in front of you. Turn to page 1027, the book of Jude. We've been going through this short series. It's a summer series before we return. Lord willing to Genesis next week the book of Jude. And the main point I want you to hear this morning, if you're taking notes, the main point in the book of Jude is this. We find confidence to persevere in the one who keeps us. We find confidence to persevere in the one who keeps us. 
Let me read for us Jude, verses 17 through 25. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. It's our third and and final study in the book of Jude, a brief letter written by the half-brother of Jesus. And in this letter, Jude addressed an urgent matter. False teachers were having a negative impact on churches there. And there was action that he was calling Christians to back in verse 3. He was calling them to contend for the faith. We thought about that, that word contend. It means to fight, to strive. And we use the illustration of a wrestler. You know, what a wrestler does is, is to, to strive, to strive with all of their might. And the image of contending for the faith, for Christian belief and, and doctrine, is a wrestler striving with all of their might, almost out of breath, almost out of strength, yet exerting that final bit of effort in order to prevail. Jude is saying, strive in that manner for the faith. The final section here in Jude, it's where he he lays out exhortations and he gives direction. And we find here three sets of instruction. That's the outline I want us to track with this morning. Three sets of instruction. How to contend for the faith. How to care for others. How to continue on. You don't have to write all that down right now. Go back through it. The first set of instructions we'll see in verses 17 through 21. You can write this down. How to contend for the faith. It's the first set of instructions. Verses 17 through 21, how to contend for the faith. That image of a wrestler, it helps us understand what it looks like to contend for the faith. A wrestler must defend against his opponent, and a wrestler must also advance. You can't just play defense, but you have to defend. But you also have to be prepared to advance. In other words, wrestling requires defense and offense. Now what Jude, what he prescribes in this section is having a defense and an offense against the false teachers. So defend against the false teaching. Be prepared, don't be surprised, be prepared for the advance of false teaching that that twists the truth about Jesus. Well, how do you do that? Well, Jude says first there in verse 17, you must remember So play defense by remembering. Look at verse 17 to see what they must remember. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So he's saying, remember the teaching and the instruction you received from the apostles, from the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They made predictions and repeatedly gave warnings that false teachers would come. And that wasn't just for that time and that present moment, but churches of all time need to be ready. False teachers will come. Now, we have the apostles' teaching contained this morning for us in the pages of the Bible, the complete canon of Scripture. So we need to remember what the Bible says. Remember the teaching and the preaching that you've heard from the Word of God. Jude gives a general summary of those predictions there in verse 18. He says, in the last time, which is the period we're in now, the period between the ascension of Jesus Christ reigning on the throne this morning, that period between that time and his return. We're in the last days right now. He says, in the last time, there will be scoffers. Scoffers, they mock God's word. That's what scoffing is. Scoffers have a disregard for the word of God. And, And scoffing, it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis and the Garden of Eden. Satan, the serpent, scoffing and tempting Adam and Eve, saying, did God really say? Scoffing, mocking, twisting, denying, seeking to try to change the truth of God's Word. Now here, Jude, he refers to scoffing that leads to ungodly passions. So the false teaching of that time, they were presuming upon the grace of God and using God's grace and His love as an excuse to sin. I remember this group had gotten into the church, so they weren't outside the walls of the church, they were inside the church. So attacks certainly come from outside of a church through persecution. We've got to be on guard for attacks that come within the walls of a church, which come through false teaching. They were having a negative influence. In verse 9, they were causing divisions, meaning there were little camps that were forming in churches. We prayed this morning for unity as a church because we're not a church that needs to be divided into camps. We have a statement of faith. We have unity amongst that statement of faith. and Therefore, we rejoice in the unity we have in God's Word and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jude points out that the discerning will see these false teachers, they were worldly, meaning their values were shaped by this fallen world, not by God and by His Word. They were not led by the Spirit. They were devoid of the Spirit, meaning they, they talked about Jesus, They said the name of of Jesus presented themselves as knowing the truth, but there wasn't spiritual fruit of obedience and worship and godly character and godliness that would be seen in their lives and ministries. And Jude says, be alert. Remember the warnings. Play defense. And defense happens largely through remembering. Think about how important remembering is to the Christian life. And some of you have been in church a long time, and it's easy to show up on Sunday mornings and say, well, I didn't hear anything new this morning. Well, I think you probably did, if you think about it. Think about maybe things maybe even you've forgotten. And even if you didn't hear something new, we all need to be reminded. How quick are we to hear the truth, but not apply it to our lives? We need to remember the truth that we've heard. Now, notice he doesn't spend most of his time on playing defense. That's important. So, So guard against false teaching, but most of what he addresses here is about advancing and going on the offense. In verse 20, he pivots and says, but beloved, you beloved, here's what you are to do. And he gives a string of exhortations in verses 20 through 21. Those string of exhortations, picture this as playing offense. 
Look at them there. Build, pray, keep, wait. Four exhortations on how to play offense. Build, pray, keep, wait. Let's think through those exhortations. So, so yes, remember the truth. Play defense. Guard against false teaching. But you have to play offense too. The positive way to avoid the false teachers through these exhortations. Now, this passage, it's structured where the main command here is in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's the main exhortation. The other three kind of flesh out what it looks like to keep yourself in the love of God. They demonstrate how that looks and what you are to do. So let's look at verse 21 first. True believers are kept for Jesus Christ. This is seen by keeping yourself in the love of God. You may read this and you think, all right, which one is it? Am I kept by God or do I keep myself? And the answer to that question is yes. It's both. I mean, we read both here. And we've got to take the whole letter for what it is. Right? So we, we can't just read this verse and, and take it and stare at it without looking at what's said in verse 1 and then in verse 24. Verse 1, Christians are kept for Jesus Christ, called, loved, kept. It's kind of like a sandwich here even, right? 21, keep yourselves in the love of Christ. Verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you. In other words, because we are kept, we keep going. Because we have the promise of being kept by God, we keep going. God preserves us in Christ, and therefore, we persevere. God preserves all of His people. You read that in John chapter 10. No one can snatch out of the hand of Jesus those who God the Father have given to Him unto salvation. So every believer is preserved. Therefore, every true believer perseveres until the end. God preserves us in Christ, and therefore we persevere. Now today, we've already sung Christ the sure and steady anchor. We spoke to our experience. I will hold fast to the anchor. It's looking at our experience of human responsibility. Now we plan to close the service looking from a, a different vantage point, God's sovereignty. We plan to sing, He will hold me fast. I will hold fast to the anchor. He will hold me fast. Because He holds me fast, I will hold fast to the anchor. Now, to be sure, don't confuse this for a 50-50 type of relationship. That's not what Jude is laying out here where God does his half and you do your half. That's not the idea in the book of Jude. He's simply presenting this clear truth. God has a role and every Christian has a role. Now, lest you mistake this letter for putting the emphasis on you and your growth and making it to the end and persevering, notice the work of the Trinity Father, Son, and Spirit is all over this passage. The three persons of the Trinity spelled out there in verse 20 and 21. Look at the end of verse 20. Pray in the what? In the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of who? God, God the Father. Waiting for the mercy of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son. Our salvation, believer, from start to finish 
Conversion to glory is entirely a work of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Entirely an act of His grace and His power and His love. God is at work in us. And therefore, we have work to do. Now, under God's powerful work of keeping us, clearly we see we have a role in our Christian growth. And I'll tell you, I've been in churches that emphasize maybe one to the detriment of the other. I've been in churches that just focus so much on what we must do and what we have to do and and maybe even kind of err with driving people by guilt, which is not a good motivator. It's not going to help us persevere until the end. But I've also been in churches that want to talk so much about, well, we're just a mess and we just have to throw our hands up and just say, well, our salvation's a work of God and, you know, we're going to mess up and, and just really focusing on entirely God's grace and not our responsibility as Christians for obedience. We need to avoid those errors. And looking at God's Word in the book of Jude helps us do that. God has a role. We have a role. There's exhortations here for our role of how to keep yourselves. Build yourselves up in the faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's think about that. First, keep yourselves in the love of God by building yourself up in the most holy faith. This picture is building on something already built. Build on the foundation of the most holy faith. This picture is growing strong doctrinally. So the faith, the Christian doctrine, like be built up by the Word of God. Do you want to grow as a Christian? Immerse yourself in the Bible. You will grow in your understanding of God's love as you are immersed in the truth of God's Word. Keep yourselves in the love of God, second, by praying in the Holy Spirit. This is just talking about praying by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what prayer is. We, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't speaking to some kind of like super secret special prayer that only a few Christians experience. This is just talking about common prayer, like what we've done this morning in our time together. Do you want to grow as a Christian? Simply put, give yourself to prayer. You will not keep yourselves in the love of God apart from prayer. I mean, how can you grow in a relationship with God if you rarely speak to Him? What does it mean to grow as a Christian if you don't give time to pray to God? Brothers and sisters, God has given us such a wonderful resource in prayer. And we must exercise and use that resource. As we do, we will grow in our knowledge of God's love for us. And then third, keep yourselves in the love of God by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. This picture is waiting eagerly for the return of Jesus. Does your gospel include the return of Jesus Christ? Does the good news that you long for and look forward to not just only look back and focus on the present, but also look on the sure hope we have of what is yet to come. There is good news that Christ is returning. And as we meditate on that truth and that promise and that hope, it sanctifies us. It helps us grow as Christians. It helps us direct our attention to what really matters in this life, that we prepare ourselves and others for this next life that is sure to come. This moment we're being kept for is when all things consummate and Jesus Christ comes back to show His mercy. Well, do you want to grow as a Christian? Look to the return of Christ. 
If you're looking forward to the return of Jesus, you won't be living in disobedience. It doesn't happen. Like, if you think about that. Sinning and looking for the return of Jesus. If we're struggling with temptation, let's look to Jesus. Those two things aren't going to happen at the same time. And far too often, our temptation to be drawn into the values of this present world is that we're not looking to His return. But brother and sister in the Lord, how are you positioning yourself to grow spiritually? We're at the start of like a school year, or start of kind of a, a new season. Summer is coming to a close. I was thankful for how cool and crisp it felt this morning, right? The season's marking the time. Summer is coming to a close. There's a new season. It's a natural thing to do when we enter a new season to plan for that new season. Well, let's not spend our time just planning for back to school and back to work and end of summer. Let's give our time considering how can we grow spiritually? How can we grow in the Christian faith this fall? Well, Christian, I wonder what you're thinking about what it looks like for you to grow this fall. Fathers, in our congregation. We're so thankful for you and for the ministries that you have in your home. How are you thinking to lead your family towards spiritual growth this fall? We just looked at building up on the Word and prayer that we might look to Christ more. So let's start with our Sunday morning worship service. Spiritual leadership, it's simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. It just starts with coming to church on Sunday mornings, the morning that Jesus got up from the dead what Christians have done for 2,000 years, what we're doing on every inhabitable continent this morning, coming together to worship Jesus. Start with our Sunday morning worship service and think about how much time we spend in our service in the Word and in prayer. Think about how you're fed on Sunday mornings as we worship God, as we focus on His Word, and as we pray, our eyes are lifted to Christ. And I hope it's the result in each of us that we long to know Christ more and long for His return more as a result of our corporate worship on Sundays. Well, just as we give ourselves for an hour and a half on Sunday mornings to the Word and prayer, extend that devotion throughout the week. Extend it by spending more time in the Bible and prayer. Now, American Christians, we often struggle with this. We think first about like our quiet time, our time in the Word. I think in the Bible, it starts off with our walk with God together, and that's extended through time throughout the week. So that's why I'm saying start with Sunday, start with Sunday morning, and look towards extending that devotion through times of Word and prayer throughout the week. Give yourself to personal devotions and prayer. Give yourself to family or household devotions and prayer. And give yourself to your church family to be in the Word and to be in prayer with your church family. You see, our church ministry helps with this. We have groups that are studying the Bible right now, groups that get together just to pray, small groups. Small groups that get together to read through different books, like what we've got downstairs in our bookstall. If you're not a part of those and you want to be one and you want to hear about more about those, talk to Tim Goslin. Tim Gosen has a list. He'll get you connected. If you're a member of our church, happy to get you into those groups. Sunday evenings, we have six more times this fall where we come together as a church and we pray and we hear God's word. I don't think it's a good development that in the second half of the last century, American evangelical churches dropped prayer services. It's just not a good development, I don't think. I'm happy for us to pray in small groups, but I'm thankful that our church is willing to get together on Sunday nights to spend time in prayer. Equipping hour. It starts on Sunday the 11th. We have extra opportunities to grow in your knowledge of the Bible and the Christian life, looking at overviews of books of the Bible, theology and history, and a workshop on evangelism. Students and children receiving deposits of God's Word. You get the picture here. 
think about your life and to start with the church ministry and extend that through personal plans. Position yourself and think about your life as positioning yourself to receive deposits from God's Word. Just spend time in prayer. And as you build yourself up in this way, you will grow in the knowledge of God and in His love for you in Christ. You will grow. It may not happen as quickly as you want it to. Growth happens at different paces and different seasons. That's just the the way it is. That can be a bit mysterious and sometimes even frustrating. But don't give up. Keep positioning yourself to receive deposits. Be patient and by God's grace, persevere. Well, verses 22 and 23, Jude pivots again from how you are to act to care for yourselves and keep for yourselves. Now he speaks of how to care for others. Second part of our outline, second set of instructions in verses 22 and 23, how to care for others. How to care for others. In this section, Jude mentions three different groups of people who've been negatively impacted by the false teaching and have started to follow it. And he gives directions for how to treat them. And does he say drop the hammer on them? Does he say take them to the mat, wrestle with them? He speaks of contending for them. Not fighting them, fighting for them. Each case has directions similar. Show mercy. Christian God has shown you mercy through His Son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross to take the penalty for your sin. You and I deserved that penalty for our sin against God. That's what we deserved. And God was merciful to not give us what we deserved. But Jesus and His mercy stood, stepped in as a substitute, stood in our place, taking the penalty for sin that you and I deserved. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've repented of your sin against God, you know mercy from Jesus. And you've also been transformed to extend that mercy, to show that mercy to others. The call here is to contend for others by showing them mercy. Now, in these two verses, Jude outlines these three groups. The first group in verse 22, those who doubt. He references a group of believers that have been influenced by the false teaching. They were starting to waver and doubt God's Word. Perhaps they were even starting to entertain the thoughts they heard from these false teachers. And the direction that Jude gives in verse 23, have mercy on them. They need to be shown kindness, compassion. Now, doubt is different from unbelief. Unbelief is refusing to believe. It's it's turning away. Unbelief is, I'm not interested in God's Word. I don't care what God's Word says. It's, it's a refusal to believe. Doubt's different. Doubt's struggling to believe. Doubt is, is wrestling, maybe wrestling with, with questions. Maybe questions like, well, am I sure the Bible's true? Maybe questions like, does God really love me? Has He really forgiven my sin? Maybe it's questions like, what if we're wrong about this? I know mom and dad are convinced of this. I know everyone around me seems to be convinced of this, but what what if we're all just wrong about this? Doubt is is struggling and wrestling with those questions. And if you're a member of our church here this morning and you're wrestling with doubt, you need to know you're not alone. I, I dare say many of us, if not all of us, 
have wrestled with doubt at some point or maybe even right now. And just the fact this is contained in Jude's writing shows us churches have always had people who wrestled with doubt. And so you're not alone. The worst thing you can do in your doubt is just to not share that with anyone, not ask anyone to kind of help you and to pray for you and to look at the Bible with you. So if that's you, share that with someone this morning who can help. Share that with one of our pastors. You're you're welcome to reach out to any of us, whether that's after a service or texting us or sending us an email to get together and talk more about that. And and brother and sister in the Lord, we need to be the kind of church where this mercy is normal. It's just a normal ministry we show to one another, that we show compassion and we show kindness. We are trying to help each other persevere until the end. And therefore, that just requires loads and loads of mercy. It means not getting angry with people or getting frustrated or giving up, getting tired, just getting worn out. You see, perseverance in the Christian life is also persevering and showing mercy to other Christians. So think about this, this, this call to show mercy to others around us. That's a part of our basic ministry as a member of a local church. In verse 23, we see a second group. This group's actually in the fire. They're not yet destroyed, but they're heading that direction, heading toward unbelief. They need to be snatched out of the fire, which means rescued. Fire, it consumes, it destroys. Fire damages what it comes into contact with. And the fire that Jude mentions here is final judgment and hell. Hell is real. God is a judge. He is right to judge us for our sin. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we're glad you've come. Maybe hearing that language might even be a little bit startling to you. Let me just say, we would not be loving you if you were to live this life and never hear that God will judge you and then to die and enter into eternity and find that out. God's judgment is real. God is holy He will punish sin. And we rejoice this morning because God is holy, He's a judge, and He's full of grace and mercy, extending a pardon for that judgment. Mercy to anyone at any time who would change their mind about their sin against God and agree with Him in His Word that sin is an offense against God. And then turn and put your faith, meaning your trust, in Jesus Christ, in his sacrificial death on the cross, in your place to pay for your sin, and his resurrection from the dead and receive new life from him, God will judge you. And the time to receive that mercy is now. It's not later. It's not when you get older. It's not when certain seasons of your life pass by. It's, it's today. If you come today and you're not a Christian, we would love to talk with you more about what it would look like to know forgiveness of your sins, to be made right with God today. I say this every week, and if you've heard me say it before and you haven't done this, I extend this invitation again today. Come and see any of our pastors. I'll be right here. We'll have other pastors at the other doors. You've got members around you. Talk to any of our members. We'd love to share more with you about what it would look like for you to receive forgiveness of your sins today by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. You see, this judgment is, is real. And Jude's speaking to a group of Christians, or at least so-called Christians, that are in the fire. 
meaning like they're being damaged. He's saying in verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. I think what he means by this is sometimes Christians will find themselves succumbing to false teaching and be in a very dangerous place. Now, if someone can be snatched out, it means they're still in reach. They're not gone. They can still be rescued and restored. And the direction of church members, don't let go of someone who's in the fire. Rescue them. Still a third group at the end, verse 23, to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This was likely describing those who were already following the false teachers. They had been stained by the sin of that false teaching, likely the stain being their sinful actions as a result of following that sinful teaching. Yes, we should hate the effects of sin and the stain that it brings. But the direction still is to show them mercy. He qualifies that now, show mercy with fear. Still, I think likely this references the fear of getting stained or defiled yourself. So exercise caution, almost like caring for someone who has a contagious illness. You don't stop caring for them. Be careful. Show mercy. Be careful, but keep caring. In each situation, there's a responsibility on behalf of the Christian, members of the church, to show mercy. Guard against giving up. Guard against losing your patience. Guard against getting frustrated. Guard against getting weary of caring. And show mercy. Now, mercy doesn't mean ignoring the situation, acting like nothing's happening, like there's no truth to be confronted or no behavior to be corrected. That is not merciful at all. It's ignore sin. Mercy doesn't mean telling people we love you without speaking the truth. Mercy doesn't mean the absence of correction. You see, to show mercy is to show compassion. Compassion shares the truth. Compassion calls for repentance. Now, again, you've heard this and put this together. An OBC member, I think this teaches us something about our involvement in a local church, meaning we have a responsibility to care for other members of the church. Elders should lead the way in this. But keep in mind, who's Jude writing to here? The introduction didn't say to the elders. He's actually just writing to the call, the love, the kept, meaning to Christians. So he's saying, Christians, we all have a responsibility to actively care for other Christians. I think primarily other members of your church as the priority. Jude, he's, he's writing here to the whole church. Well, brother and sister in the Lord, what would it look like for you to better care for members of this church this fall. You know, you can't care for people if you're not present, both here when we gather and present in their lives. We, we can't care for people if we don't know people. If we don't make ourselves known to others, they can't care for us. So there's a responsibility we all have to want to get to know others, but there's a responsibility every one of us has to help ourselves be known to others. And far too often, people in churches may sit around and say, well, nobody knows me. Well, I, I hope that's not the case, and I hope people move towards you, but have you made efforts to make yourself known to others, to share with others? Here's how you can pray for me. Hey, I'd like to get together and have a cup of coffee and talk more about my Christian walk or talk more about the sermon that we just heard. He said, what would it look like for you to better 
care for members of this church this fall. Well, may we have a growing culture of care in this church that seeks to extend mercy to others. Well, finally, as we look at verses 24 and 25, we see a doxology there, an expression of praise to God that also instructs us how to continue on. Last set of instructions, how to continue on. There are real and present dangers this side of glory. That's why Jude addressed an urgent matter in this letter. And some of you may even think as you read this letter, maybe you get anxious and you you fear like, how how am I going to keep keeping on? Might might I be someone who, who, who falls prey to false teaching? Or might I be someone who kind of falls along the way one day? Well, what if my struggles with doubt get the best of me? How will I continue on when life is hard and painful? Well, these last few verses, we find assurance and comfort, balm for an anxious heart as we look to the character of God and His faithfulness to His promises. You see, Daniel mentioned this morning, as we praise God, we find comfort. We're reminded of who He is how faithful He is, how merciful He is, how much He's loved us in Jesus. And this doxology at the end, an expression of praise to God, it brings us comfort in who God is. The doxology begins, now to Him who is able to keep you. That speaks of God's blessing on the life of every Christian. It speaks of God's precious promises and blessing that we can stand on. Those who put their faith in Jesus are kept until the end. Kept meaning protected, guarded. That word able doesn't mean, well, he's kind of possibly able to if he wants to. Able means might, means power. He has the power and the might to keep all of his people. The power of sin and hell will not prevail. Your doubt is powerful, but it's no match for the power of God. Pain is a powerful feeling. It hurts. It's hard to ignore pain in our lives. But it's no match for the power of God. He is able, meaning He has the might and the power. And He is as great as He is gracious, meaning willing to take that power and give it to you to dispense His power. He's shown that in giving you the Holy Spirit at the moment of your conversion, causing each of us to persevere until the end. He's omnipotent. He has all power. And the good news here is this. The same God who created the heavens and the earth by the power of His Word. This is the same God who who makes believers into new creations in Christ through faith in Jesus. That same God who saved you is able to sustain you. He's able to keep you. He is full of power. Jude says God will keep you from stumbling. That doesn't mean from ever sinning. We pray prayers of confession because we understand we will stumble. We will fail to obey God. There are often times that we will turn away. This picture here of stumbling doesn't mean that He'll keep us from ever sinning. It means He will keep us from leaving. He will keep you from being taken out. Like these people were in danger by false teaching. He will keep you from resigning yourself to live in sin. So therefore, keep fighting against sin. Keep fleeing temptation and find confidence in the God who will keep you throughout all of that. You see, our assurance of salvation is found in God's power, not our own. 
we're kept safely until the end of this life and have eternal security in the next life through his awesome power. This power to keep and preserve us, it will conclude when we reach our final destination as believers. We stand, we are presented blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. This looks forward to that great day that is to come in glory when believers are forever with the Lord. There is a day that's coming that we must not lose sight of. Glory that is yet to come when believers are forever with the Lord. There is a day that's coming when you and I, Christian, will stand face to face with the Lord. Now all will stand face to face to be sure. For those who have not repented of their sin and not put their faith in Jesus Christ, that will be a terrible day. It will be too late to be forgiven. The call of forgiveness, it goes out now. There is a time now to repent and believe in Jesus. And for those who, by God's grace, who have repented of their sin, that's the day we expectantly long for and wait for, a day of glory and of great joy. You see, our assurance is that God will keep us in order to present us. God will keep us in order to present us. And notice it says here to present us blameless, meaning without fault, cleansed from the stain of sin, ready to be received by God and welcomed eternally into His joy. God is keeping us from stumbling and keeping us for His presence. Think about that. We often think about maybe just what God's keeping us from, which we can rejoice in. It's wonderful. God's keeping us from living in sin and being slaves to sin. He's keeping us from His wrath and judgment, but He's keeping us for this day that we will stand in His presence in great joy. That's the day that we wait for. You see this assurance He's giving here, and in verse 25, He actually returns to give assurance by praise to God and calling out His attributes. These attributes of God, they display His ability to keep you. And one person, he put it like this. I mentioned this earlier. God is as gracious as he is great. Consider the one who's able to keep you. He's the only God. There is no other. He's our Savior. That's who God is. A Savior. The only one who could rescue us and save believers from the penalty of sin. To the only God, our Savior, through whom? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's only through Jesus and faith in him that God's blessing comes. It is through Jesus that God is to be praised. To Him be glory, meaning all praise and honor to God for who He is and for what He's done. To Him be majesty, which speaks of His greatness. There's no one like Him. To Him be dominion, which highlights His sovereign rule. To Him be authority, which speaks of His power over everything and everybody. He's sovereign, he's in in control, to him be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority because it belongs to him. He alone is worthy of our praise. And God preserves us as his people to keep praising him. He alone is worthy of all praise before all time and eternity past, now, in this present life, and forever. In eternity. The book concludes with the word amen, which we should say more at Oakhurst. It means let it be so. Amen.
Where do you find confidence, Christian? While we should resolve to give ourselves more to our spiritual walk, and I hope that's a decision we each make this morning, don't confuse this. Our resolve is not the source of our confidence. In fact, I think wavering happens too often because we look in the mirror for confidence. Friends, we weren't made to look in mirrors. I've heard it said we were made to look at glory. Look at Jesus. Turn to Him in your doubt. Turn to Him in pain. Turn to Him to find hope for just a little while. It doesn't always feel like that. For just a little while, we contend. For just a little while in this life, we strive. One day, our striving, it will be over. We will receive all that we longed for, all that we've waited for. One day, contending will be over. And the confidence we have is that God is keeping us for that day. Brother and sister, live today in light of that day. Live your life tomorrow in light of that great day that is yet to come. Look to the one who's able. We do that now as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, to be reminded of His glory and His greatness and the grace of God seen through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow and pray. Father, we thank You for the assurance You give us that one day our striving will be over, one day our struggling will be over, and even in the midst of that struggling and that pain that we know now, there's hope that You indeed will keep us to the end. Lord, we pray You'd help us to find our confidence in You and Your deep love for us in Jesus. Help us to find our confidence in Your faithfulness to us. Help us to be those who know Your mercy in Jesus and seek to show that mercy to those around us. And we pray You'd remind us of that now as we come to take the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen.